The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Well, good morning, church, and welcome. If you are newer around here, my name is Alan. I get the joy and privilege of ser- serving with our teenagers. And I said in the first service, every once in a while, they let me out of the loony bin to come talk to the adults. That's what we're going to be doing this morning. So we're going to be continuing uh, through the uh, through the book of Colossians. Uh, we're in chapter number three, verse number 18. I do, uh, I do really enjoy serving with our teenagers. We actually just got back from, uh, from a week of camp, just uh, not this past week, but we got back uh, right before the Sunday service uh, last week. And I, I was actually thinking about it this week, how much uh, uh, our, our ministry has kind of, or I guess Brent and I, our ministry to teenagers has changed over the years. We've been working with teenagers now for about 15 years. I started working with 7th and 8th graders in junior high and just all the things that go through that. I remember when I first started working with teenagers, uh, I just really hoped that they would like me and that they would think I was funny and that they would never get mad at me. Then you kind of come through that stage, you'd get a little bit older and you just really want them to do what's right, and you put rules on the wall, and you go through all that. Now I get the uh, privilege of actually having one of my kids in the, in the youth group with us. And so now my, my biggest goal is just each week, how can I embarrass my kid in front of his friends? I, I, so I'm really at a, at a stage where I'm really starting to in, enjoy it now. So 15 years in, <laughs> it's going good. So uh, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and I'm going to let you remain seated just because we, uh, we just sat down and it's just a short passage that we're going to read. Uh, Colossians chapter number 3, we're going to read verse 18 through 21. The Bible says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. We're going to spend most of our time there this morning. I'm only kidding. Only kidding. I know some of you would like for us to, but we're also going to go on to verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Verse number 20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. And so what we're going to be going through this morning, I'm just going to kind of warn you up front. A lot of these uh, verses, we've just read these verses, and the, there's, there's some very uh, kind of imperative commands here, right? And we can go through this, and we can start to, to look at this as just uh, this list of things that we are supposed to do, and we have to do these things, and we don't understand the context. We don't understand the benefit to the, doing these things, or sometimes we maybe even don't understand what the posture and position of our heart should be as we move through these verses. Verses. And so to kind of set this up, I just want to use an example uh, from my own life when I, was, uh, when I was in high school, and we'll talk about that, and we'll look at the way that that applies to these verses as we move through them this morning. So we're just going to go verse by verse through these four verses. When I was in high school, uh, I, I, the first couple of years of high school, I homeschooled. And uh, I remember uh, my friends used to say, where do you go to school? And one of my other friends would say, he goes to homeschool. But I w- it would make me mad. I would say, no, I don't go anywhere. I, you know, I, I stay at home. I, I, I just, and, and I didn't really like it because I didn't have a lot of friends and um, I didn't get to hang out with my friends. I actually came to uh, a stage in my life where um, I, I was highly motivated to, uh, I had talked to my parents about it, to go to school uh, rather than stay at home at school. And a lot of that motivation was that uh, my sister, she is, she's really cool. But I was interested in girls that were notably not my sister. You know what stage that is in your life? You kind of get, get, get there. Hopefully you've been there, men. And so I, I wanted to, uh, to go to school, and I wanted to uh, go to a school that had girls that were my age. Uh, because I was interested in them, and I liked sports, and, I, and all these things. And so I talked to my dad about it, and he said, well, 
um, the reason we homeschool you is because we want you to have a Christian education. He said, if you will pay for yourself to go to the local Christian school, then you can do that. And so I did. I went and got a job and uh, enrolled in the local Christian school, which is actually Bryn and I got to go to high school together. People often ask if she's my high school sweetheart. She was my high school sweetheart, but I was not her high school sweetheart, if that makes sense. So uh, I, I hope it does. But uh, in any event, so, so we got to go to school together. And at the time, uh, I was interested in, in another girl. And uh, this, this girl, she was all about drama. She loved drama, and, and that's a red flag, guys. That's, that's a big red flag. But specifically, she liked drama like acting and art and, and those types of things. And um, because she was interested in it, I thought, well, I should be interested in it because I'll get to spend more time with her. I, I talked to my friends, and each year at school, we did a, a junior-senior play. All the juniors and all the seniors. It was a small Christian school. We'd come together. We would put on a play. And uh, I remember that I talked to my friends. I played sports, and they said, look, the junior-senior year, junior-senior play comes around every year. This is what you want to do. Go and talk to the director of the play. Let him know that you have no interest in acting, you're horrible at it, and you just want to be a stagehand. They said, all you do is you dress in all black, you come the day of the play, and you move stuff around. Super easy. I was like, that's it. So I, I told this girl I was interested in, and I was like, hey, I think I'm going to be a stagehand. And she said, no. We could spend more time together, you know, if you're in the play, if we, if we actually, you know, I kind of rolled my eyes, but I, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll try that. So I'll, I'll try out for the play. So I went and we had the tryouts and pretty much, I didn't realize this, but pretty much if you try out, you get a part, you know, it's a small Christian school and uh, they're going to, they're going to give me a part. Well, I somehow landed the part of uh, Caiaphas, the high priest. And if you know my personality or if you knew my personality in high school, that is probably the farthest thing from a character that I would imagine myself portraying, Caiaphas the high priest. I, I thought that, that I would be portrayed or I would, I would fill the role of, of uh, the class clown or maybe the comic relief. Caiaphas the high priest was, was not what I had in my mind. But I learned an important lesson from this. We're going we're gonna to apply this lesson uh, a little bit as we go through these verses. When it came to that play, whether I wanted it to be or not, or whether I thought that it represented me or not, my job in that play, my, uh, my role in that play, was to represent Caiaphas the high priest. And the only way that that play was going to be successful was that I filled the role that I had. I'll go a step farther and say not only was it uh, uh, imperative that, that I fill my role for the sake of the play, but also for the sake of the other people that were in the play. If I don't say my lines... They don't have lines to reply to. If I don't fill my part, they don't necessarily have a part to fill. And so uh, I, I realized that this, this was kind of the first experience that I had in my life, at least, where I had to represent someone else. As we look through these verses that, that we've read here this morning, as we uh, move through some of these, we're going to see uh, that we are actually representatives uh, of something within this play itself, or within this uh, gospel drama, if you will. If you aren't familiar with uh, the good nature of God, you might look at something like this, and you, you might say, well, I want to focus on my own agenda, and I want to focus on my own ideals, and my own thoughts, and my own uh, desires. And, and we start to think that God will just align himself with what our desires, and what our, our goals are. But that's not our role in this. 
our role, in fact, is to um, uh, follow Christ. And so uh, Matthew chapter number 16, verse number 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Verse number 25 says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life because of me will find it. And so uh, we see here that, that our role is... Uh, to do what Christ wants us to do. We're going to get more specific on that in just a moment. But your marriage, understand this, your marriage is a good gift to you, but it is not primarily about you. If you were here last week, we talked a little bit about this, how we can, uh, how we can take uh, ourselves and, and just make everything about us. We're guilty of that, and in probably every area of our lives, everything becomes about us. So our marriage is, is a good gift to us, is not primarily about us. So let's look at Ephesians chapter number 5, verse 22 and 23. It says, Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. All right, so we have the first role that is being filled here. Uh, marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Uh, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So husbands have been cast into the role here of Christ. Wives have been cast into the role of the church. And the Christian marriage, by God's good design, is a representation of the gospel relationship. An opportunity for us to show the whole world that Jesus and his bride uh, and the church can relate to one another and how they relate to one another. Not just to an outside world, but also inside of our homes. And so this is a picture of the gospel. Uh, if you're a husband, there's a picture of the gospel to your wife and your children. If you're a wife, this is a picture of the gospel to your husband and children. And so we understand that uh, um, uh, this is a picture of the gospel, both exterior and on the interior. And so uh, a husband sacrifices or lays down his life and rights and comforts in servant leadership. The wife follows the servant leadership of her husband as the church does Christ. When this works as it should, it's an amazing picture to the world of the gospel. These are complementary roles. He lives his life for her good. She graciously follows his lead. It's beautiful uh, not only to an outside world, but perhaps more importantly to those within our household. All right, so we've kind of covered through all that. Let's jump into the verses themselves. Verse number 18, this is literally going to be our outline. It's just going to be verse by verse by verse. We've got four verses to cover here, and uh, the Bible says ladies first, so we're going to... Uh, we're going to start with wives right here. Verse number 18, it says, Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, uh, this, is, this is probably a verse that we're actually all familiar with. Uh, we've probably all heard this verse. We've probably heard it, heard it quoted and misquoted. We've probably heard it taken out of context. Uh, we've probably, hopefully, we've heard it within its context. But because of that, I want to take just a minute and talk about four things that I notice that this verse is not saying, okay? A lot of times we can take a verse and we can kind of fill in the blanks here. Uh, we're not going to fill in any blanks that God hasn't already done himself, all right? And so we're going to talk about four things briefly this verse is not saying. Number one, it doesn't speak to any relationship outside the covenant of Christian marriage, all right? So who is this talking to? This is talking to Christian married couples, all right? It doesn't say all women submit to all men, all right? You've maybe, maybe heard it misinterpreted this way. It does not say all women submit to all men. I have a daughter, and there's no way that I would teach her that she just has to submit to anyone that's a man or anyone that is a male, okay? The Bible is not saying that here. It's, it's saying wives uh, submit 
yourselves to your husbands. Uh, it, if you're a single woman, this doesn't apply to you, all right? And so uh, this particular verse, and there, there's plenty of other verses, but this particular verse that we're going over this morning, if you're a single woman, this doesn't apply to you. It's talking to wives within the covenant of Christian marriage. If you're a man and the leader at your workplace is a woman, you still need to submit to that leader, okay? And so this is, this is different. Uh, this is, we're talking about the marriage relationship. If you, if, uh, if you go to work on Monday morning, if you go to work tomorrow morning, and your boss is a woman, you can't go and say, hey, this, this verse right here, you have to submit to me. That's not how it works, all right? Let's just be clear about that. Uh, furthermore, we've just come through the previous verses, uh, and this verse is assuming that both the husband and wife are Christians. Would this work for non-Christians? The answer, uh, the answer is I don't know. Uh, I do know that it's impossible to uh, play this out in your life if, if you're both the lords of your own lives. And that, that's most commonly true outside uh, the realm of Christian marriage. Okay, so number two, quickly, it doesn't say wives obey your husbands. All right, that, that, that word obey is actually mentioned in a verse that we're going to talk about today. And in that case, it's talking about obeying uh, your parents, children obeying your parents. Uh, what Paul says is submit, which means you're going to yield ultimate leadership and responsibility to your husbands. It, it means you will graciously defer to his leadership. All right, it means you're his greatest cheerleader, not his greatest critic. This is submission to your husband and obedience to your heavenly father. We're going to see in a moment that those two things align, all right? We obey God and we submit to our husbands. I say we, I'm not a wife. I'm speaking to wives here. Wives, you obey your husband, uh, you obey your heavenly father, submit to your wife. A little slip there. All right, number three. This does not address men. This is not written to men, okay? This can't be your life verse, guys. We were joking in, uh, in staff meeting on Monday. We were talking about life verses. I said, I'm studying the sermon. I think this is going to be my life verse. It doesn't work like that. Uh, verse, verse number 19 is for women. Uh, men, if you need to quote your, or I'm sorry, verse number 18 is for women. Men, if you find yourselves needing to quote this verse to your wife, it's very likely that you're not living out verse number 19. We're going to talk about that in just a moment, and that's quite possibly where we've gone, gone wrong. Lastly, number four, this does not apply to sin and abuse. It says there, as is fitting to the Lord. If your husband is asking you to steal or to cheat on your taxes, you're off the hook here, all right? You don't have to submit to that because it says, as is pleasing in the Lord. Here's, here's a good test. If God and your husband disagree Who's right? Very good. Very good, class. We're doing good. This is never speaking to an abusive situation. Ultimately, your goal is to please the Lord. And if you're in an abusive situation, what would please the Lord is to get a restraining order and a can of mace and, and stay away from it, all right? That's that what is pleasing to the Lord. And so this is not speaking about an abusive situation. Now, I, I tried to think of maybe an illustration that, that I could come up with uh, that that. Would, would help us to better understand what the Bible is speaking of uh, as, as it pertains to this particular relationship in wives submitting to husband. And, and maybe this isn't perfect, but this is something that I thought of. I fly uh, maybe not as often now as I used to, but I have flown quite often. And whenever I get on a plane, there's, I always get on, and the first thing I do is I look to my left, there's a pilot and a co-pilot sitting there, right? I just 
take a peek. I make sure they look sane and with it, that they're not drinking, that you know they're, they're capable of taking the plane off, plane off and landing the plane. I'm just making sure everything is good, and then I, I go on and, and I take my seat. But I've, I've noticed whenever I look up there, there's always a pilot and there is a co-pilot. They're both facing the same direction. I assume, or I wouldn't get on the plane, I assume that they are both capable of flying the plane. Uh, they both have the ability uh, uh, to fly the plane if, if something were to happen. They are competent. Uh, if something didn't go well, uh, the co-pilot could take over and fly. And so that, that is the relationship that, that these two have. I'll, I'll go a step farther and, and say that we uh, have a friend in Indiana, and uh, his job is actually to offer further training to pilots. And so if there's a pilot that regularly flies, there's constantly updates and new training that they need to take care of. So he goes and he sits, he acts as the co-pilot, in order to train them further to do their job better. Now, I'll say that the way that he got to that position is that he's probably often a better pilot uh, than the actual pilot that's in the seat, but his role, the role that he fills is that of a co-pilot. That's not to say that he's less capable. That is not to say that he's less competent. That is to say that the only way that this works is for both of them to fill their role. And so the co-pilot co here is always going to defer to the pilot always going to uh, allow the pilot to make those decisions. Submission, and that's what we're talking about here. And so I want to I make clear that uh, the Bible isn't saying that, uh, that uh, the mother in the household is less capable of making a decision. Oftentimes I've found uh, that my wife is more capable of, of making a decision. And in fact, oftentimes I, uh, I will seek her advice before we make a decision. Uh, the way that this often looks is that we actually come to agreeance before we make a decision. But the Bible addresses what do we do when there is a situation where we can't find that agreeance, and it says that the wife submits to the husband. And so pretty clear there. Let's, uh, let's move on to number two. Number two, we're talking about husbands. Big point number two. Actually, I skipped. I want to I go back here just a little bit uh, on wives. Wives don't see this verse. I just want to make this important point. Don't see this verse as an imposition to you. Uh, it's not. It's an invitation for you to show the gospel, all right? And so uh, don't look at this verse saying that, that you have to submit. Here's this imposition that's been put upon you. Uh, this is an invitation for you to show the world the picture of Christ in the gospel. All right, number two. Husbands. Verse number 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. So guys, we have two things here, all right? We're, again, this outline is, is literally just the scripture. We have two things. Uh, number one is a do. Number two is a don't. We're going to say it out loud here. What is your do? Love your wives. That was really good. Number two, don't be bitter. That was pretty good. All right, we'll work on that later. Love your wives don't be bitter towards them. Uh, I used the illustration earlier of a play, and uh, this, this is vitally important, okay? Men, we have to understand this. Uh, this the, the role that we just talked about that our wives have in submitting to us is, is completely dependent on us serving our role, okay? God's design for the Christian family is predicated on the assumption that you're loving and lead, leading your family like Christ led the church. Your love in this relationship is not responsive, it is an initiating love, all right? We see an example of this in Romans 5.8, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We see a picture here again of the gospel. Jesus didn't respond 
to our obedience with love. He initiated with love, and that brought about our obedience, all right? So we, we've talked about this actually already in this series. I think it's pretty clear, but it's important that we understand what our role is and what our posture is in carrying out this role. So husbands, in this marriage relationship, we have to understand that this relationship is not 50-50, all right? I think that's what we often think about uh, this relationship in, okay? And so when I look at my wife and something's not going according to plan, I say, well, if she would come half the way, I will come the other half the way. And that's not at all what the Scripture's teaching here. Again, we, we look at our model, which is Christ. We see that this is initiating. That means when she's coming 20%, we're still going 100%. If she's coming 50%, we still are going 100%. That is our role. Uh, that means that while she's, she's nagging you, you still love her, right? When she's not submitting to you, you still love her. If she's fighting for control, you still love her. Uh, if she's not loving you back, you still love her. When she locks her keys in the car, and it's 110 degrees outside, and you have to go and get a coat hanger and stick it down in the top of the car door and fish your keys out of her purse and then pull them out and unlock the door. That's just a random thing I thought of off the top of my head. If, if something like that happens, your job, your job is to love her. Uh, when, uh, when she's got morning breath, right? She's got morning breath and she's a little bit grouchy. I assume most of you wives don't go through that. Mine does. Uh, if, if that happens... If that happens, it is your job to make her some coffee, get her a toothbrush, and love her, right? Just love her. It's our responsibility. This is, this is an initiating love. It's not responsive. And this is true in, in so many realms of our lives, right? We, we look to be responsive rather than initiating. If, if this is going to play out the way that the Bible has painted it here, men, we have to fill our roles. Second part, I will say under that. So we're still talking about love. We said, first of all, we initiate. Secondly, we sacrifice. Your wife's command to submit to you assumes that you're not living a life for your own joy, all right? That wouldn't be sacrificial. You work hard. Uh, you live a life that's dedicated to your family. Your life isn't, isn't dedicated to video games or to hobbies or to fishing or to your job. Your life is not dedicated to those things. And that's not to say that those good things can't be a part of your life, but your life is dedicated to your family in a sacrificial way. When you do get home from work and it's been a long day and you're tired, this means that you spend time with your family. You're a spiritual leader. leader. You pray for them and you pray with them. That is the role of the husband uh, as the Bible is laying out here. Your wife's role, again, assumes that you are fulfilling your role. You're the initiator and you are willing to sacrifice. So under love, we are the initiator and we're willing to sacrifice. Second part of that verse says, don't be bitter. Let's talk about that for just a second. There's no room in a Christian marriage for you to raise your voice, to raise your hand, to intimidate, discourage, disparage. Uh, some verses would say, don't be harsh with them. And so our role within this, naturally, oftentimes, this isn't always true, but oftentimes God has naturally made the husband bigger, a lot of times louder, uh, more confident, all of these things. And God didn't give us those attributes so that we could crush our wife. That, that's so that we can protect her. And so we have to understand uh, uh, why God has blessed us uh, with the things he has blessed us with, why God has blessed her with the things that 
he has blessed her with, and those things both uh, help us fulfill our roles. The God of heaven and earth is the ultimate example of all of this, right? We have a God who's all-powerful. He's the creator of all. He could crush us at any moment. And how does he posture himself with us, the church? He protects us. That is, that is again, the role that we are fulfilling. So ask yourself this question, men, before we, we move on here. Ask yourself this question, does your wife feel loved? I've thought about this question myself at times, and sometimes I maybe don't want to know the answer, whether or not, sometimes I think I do know the answer. And if, if, if you're in that position, uh, maybe we can go back and we can look at some of these things about how we can, can make our life, or our wife feel loved. So wives submit, husbands love, and don't be bitter. I want to point this out about these verses before we move on to the next one. The Bible here gives us principles and parameters. It doesn't give us play-by-play instructions. Now, why is that? This is true because the Bible uh, transcends culture and transcends time, and the Bible is applicable uh, today and 100 years from now and 100 years ago. And that doesn't work in a, in a play-by-play situation. We follow these principles and parameters. And l- let me give you uh, a few examples here. Uh, there, there aren't necessarily a lot of details about how all of it gets worked out, uh, but we do know that, uh, that we're to follow what the Bible says here. So if you're going to have these principles uh, play, go through a play-by-play in your everyday life, you need to be a student of your spouse. This isn't always easy. Sometimes, for for some of us, it's easier than others. For some of our spouses, it's easier easier than others. We need to be a student of our spouse. Men, something that you do to show your wife love might be the same thing that my wife hates, okay? Every relationship is different. And I have to know and I have to understand this. I used this example in the first service. I I think it's a pretty good example. Uh, Hunter, one day when he gets married, I just imagine, I could be wrong about this, but I just imagine that he will sing to his wife. He sings up here every week. He has a a great voice. I imagine his wife will enjoy him singing to her. My wife does not want me to sing to her. She, she, She has no desire for that. In fact, there are times she's heard me singing, not to her, and she's asked me to stop. So she has no desire for that. And so I can't, just, I can't just mimic what I see played out in one relationship and, and take that play-by-play and move it into my own relationship. These are principles uh, that, we're gonna, that are going to look different couple to couple. Ladies, your husband may have the gift, gift of sarcasm, all right? I, I enjoy that. It doesn't bother me uh, when, when Bryn uses sarcasm or if she says something that might seem mean to me. Sometimes she does that, and it, it doesn't bother me. The truth is there are some men that that, that may crush them. They, they don't like that, or, or, or uh, maybe that's, that's not the love language that they have. And so we have to understand, both men and women, that every rela- relationship is different, and that, that God has given us principles and parameters for that, but that doesn't mean we can follow the play-by-play from someone else's life. I think this, this most often can be played out when you look at your parents, right? You look at your, your parents and you say, man, they have this, this beautiful relationship. I just wish that my relationship could be as beautiful as my parents. And then we start to take the play-by-play and we realize that uh, my mom is very different than my wife, very different. And, and the things that my dad did that might make my mom happy are not the same things that would make my wife happy. And so we follow these principles and parameters. I'll give you one more example uh, of this. When, whenever uh, a holiday rolls around or a, um, uh, a birthday or anything like that, I'll be honest, my personality, I am not, 
I'm just not really big on that. I, I, I personally, if, if nobody gets me a gift on my birthday, it just absolutely does not bother me. Part of that, just to be honest, is I'm, I'm a little bit of a selfish person. If I want something, I just go and I buy it for myself. And so it, it makes it where when birthday time comes around and, uh, and my wife says, what do you want for your birthday? I don't know. If I wanted it, I already bought it, okay? And that's, that's, that's my personality, okay? And so, but, but my wife, I know this about my wife. My wife, one of her love languages is gift-giving. I recognize that. She doesn't want me on her birthday or on our anniversary, and I'll be completely transparent. I'm horrible about this. Uh, but she doesn't want me to just go to the store and buy a generic card and go get a gift card and drop it in and just, just drop it off to her. She wants me to pick something out that I saw, and that thing made me think of her, and, and she wants me to put it in one of those bags that have all the Kleenexes hanging out of it. You guys know the things I'm talking about and, and the little handle? And take that ribbon and make a, a bow out of it and put it up where the dog can't chew it up. She has all these desires. That that's, I know that about my wife, but it's not enough that I'm a student of my wife. I have to act on that. And that, that is my role to initiate. And again, I'm being p- completely transparent here. I'm, I'm pretty bad at this, just, just to be completely transparent. But that, I'm saying I'm failing here. And if you're like me and maybe you're failing in this area, uh, we men are to initiate. And so let's move on to verse number three here. We're going to talk to the children. Let's talk a little bit to parents, but children as well. Children, obey your parents. In everything, for this pleases the Lord. The word used here uh, in the uh, original language is, uh, I think it's pronounced technon. I probably messed that up, but it's really not relevant. What it means is. So this, this literally is speaking of children, uh, but then uh, the definition goes on to say that uh, anyone that is living in full dependence. So let's talk about that for just a moment. Each of these verses we've stopped and we've said, who does this apply to? This verse applies to minor children who are living in full dependence of their parents. Obey, all right? That's the word that is used here. Now, if you are an adult, you have outside the home, you don't live in full dependence of your parents, you have another verse. It says to honor your mother and your father. It doesn't say to obey, it says to honor. And, and why, why is that true? Let's use an example. Let's just say uh, that uh, it's, it's our anniversary, and, uh, and for some unlikely reason, I've planned a dinner for Bryn and I to go uh, for our anniversary. Not something I would do, but let's pretend I would. And uh, so I, I've planned a beautiful dinner, and we're going to go to dinner, and I know that it means a lot to my wife. And my mom calls, and she says, hey, it's your anniversary, and I've planned a beautiful dinner, and I would like for you and your wife to come over and enjoy that dinner. And I, I turn to my wife, and I could say, you need to be in submission to me, and, and we're, we're going to go. But I, I wouldn't do that. But I could also say, I could say, well, that's my mom, and I have to obey my mom. Bible here for adults actually says, honor, in that case, I'm actually going to defer to my wife. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to graciously tell my mom, I'm sorry, we already have plans. And we, we see this played out, actually, a, a lot of times, uh, where uh, not necessarily, we aren't necessarily always considering uh, that we're obeying, but we aren't preferring our wife. Does that make sense? And so in, in this particular situation, when this verse is written out, uh, if you are an adult uh, child, 
that doesn't really make sense. If you're an adult and you're outside the home, you're not living in full dependence of your parents, you're kind of off the hook here, all right? You can defer to your wife. Now, I will say this. If you are an adult that lives in your mom's guest bedroom and you are in full dependence of your parents, I don't know that, that I could argue that you shouldn't probably obey them, all right? And so uh, the verse does say in, in full dependence. So uh, that is, that's who we're speaking to here. Now, when this letter was written, it was the norm that um, children were, uh, were placed in, in a lower place in society. And so uh, this verse here, uh, as it's addressed, and again, I, I said that uh, the Bible transcends time and cultures and all of that, but in, in this particular time when this was written, it was most often true that parents or that children were uh, very subservient to their parents. Now, if we look at uh, if we look at society today, if we look at American society and the way that all of this plays out today, it's most often the case, not always, but most often the case, that it's actually the opposite, okay? And so the, the Bible paints a beautiful picture here of the gospel and the way that the home should be laid out. What the Bible says is that Christ is at the center, and then around that you have the parents, and then outside that you have the children, and so all of this, uh, it, it plays out in a certain way. What we see most often in, in our homes today is that the children are at the center, and then we have the parents, and then Christ is, is somewhere around the outside. So how does that play out practically? There, there are a few ways. Um, sometimes parents, are, uh, they're, they're more committed to their children's sports than they are to the Lord or to church or anything else. Sometimes uh, parents are willing to go into great debt to make sure that their, their child has everything available to them and, and has all the latest gadgets and the latest video games and uh, that they're able to uh, have all the, the latest gear and sports and everything else. And what the Bible is saying here, first of all, before we re really get into uh, specifically obedience, is we have to understand what our role is as parents and what the children's role is, and that is that the children are to obey us, we aren't to obey them. And so that means that when it's Sunday, and it's, it's time for church, and Johnny has a basketball game or a baseball game, and he says, I would rather go to a baseball game than go to church, we make God the priority, okay? I, I, I want to say this uh, about that. I, I love sports. I've, I've always really loved sports. I love that my kids play sports. We have a lot of kids within our church and within the youth group that play sports. We make it. I think we've been to at least uh, nearly, probably not all, but we've been to nearly every one of the kids in the youth group. We've been to one of their games or multiples of their games. I genuinely love sports. I played all through high school. I played for four years in college. Before we moved here, I coached our local uh, high school for five years, high school basketball, and, and I love it. My kids play sports. But I want to I communicate to my kids that the priority in our home isn't sports. The priority is always going to be Jesus. The priority is going to be what, we're, what he's called us to do. And so uh, when it comes to church on a Sunday or when it comes to sometimes for us, maybe even youth group on a Thursday, when it comes to those things, this isn't just because I'm on staff. That, that role, what's going to happen in that case is that we're going to choose Jesus over sports. Now, I'll be completely honest with you. There have been times where Lucas has had a basketball game on a Sunday. I've talked to his coach ahead of time. We've come to church, and the second church was over, I didn't stay around and talk to any of you. We got in the car, and we went to the ball game. 
because uh, because I enjoy sports. In fact, I think I think kids should play sports. I think that uh, it's a great it's a great thing for your family to get around. It's it teaches them uh, a lot of uh, principles and a lot of things that they can apply to our lives. I am 100% for sports, but when it comes to sports in our home, uh, as as the Bible lays out here, Jesus is always going to take priority. So now let's address the kids. Just a few things here. This section is predominantly two children. Obedience teaches children a few things. We're going to look at three things that obedience teaches them, and uh, we'll see a picture of the gospel within this. First of all, obedience teaches you, children, how to be an adult. Now, I know that it, it doesn't sound like that uh, this is true, especially when you're a kid. <laughs> I'll use an example. If I were to leave here this morning, I'm already getting hungry, so I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here pretty soon. But when, when, uh, when I leave here and I want to go wherever we're going to go for lunch, maybe it's home, and I'm so hungry that I get in my car, I don't put my seatbelt on, I get out here on the road, burn rubber, and, and I'm off to the races. And then uh, a police officer turns on his lights and wants me to pull over. And then I don't pull over. I just keep going. And eventually, he catches up to me. He's going to write me a ticket. He's probably going to put me in jail, and then I'm going to lose my job and my house. We're going to live in a van down by the river. It just it gets worse. What I'm saying is that as you, as you become an adult, obedience doesn't go away. The stakes just get a lot higher, right? If, if Lucas disobeys me, I'm not going to put him in prison. I'm not going to put him in jail. Uh, there's consequences, but uh, it, he learns how to be an adult in that he learns uh, what obedience is. Secondly, it's how to work, with, how to walk with God for a lifetime. How to trust in an authority that has your best interest in mind. Now, this comes back to us again, parents. We have to have their best interest in mind. How many times is it true of us as parents that the reason that we're demanding obedience is for our convenience or for peace and quiet? For we have to we have to focus on the reason that we are uh, um, asking our children to obey is because we have their best interest in mind, and that is that's a beautiful picture of the gospel. We look at um, we look at Christ and we uh, look at how He has asked us to obey Him and how that plays out in our lives. The reason that I choose to obey the Lord is because He has my best interest in mind, even when I don't know that and I don't understand that. Uh, there are times, truth be told, that when it comes to something that God wants for me and something that I want for myself, we disagree on that. There are times that I disagree with God. Tim Keller said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. There, there are times that I want something for myself than God wants for me. But I have to understand that ultimately what he wants for me has my best interest in mind. He knows more than I know. Uh, he knows what's ahead down the road. And, and it's, a, it's this beautiful picture of the gospel that's painted for our children when they understand that as parents, we have their best interest in mind. Oftentimes we know what's coming down the road. And, and the reason that we're asking them to obey us is because we want what's best for them. John 10.10 says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So I know, I already know God's agenda. Uh, it's that I would, have, I would live my life to its fullest potential even when I don't understand it. So children, obedience is for your long-term joy. It is, it is for your long-term jo joy that you learn to obey. Lastly, under that, uh, children, this uh, helps you to understand your need for the gospel. All of us, adults, 
Children, all of us have disobeyed at some point in our life. We've disobeyed our Heavenly Father. We've disobeyed, um, we've disobeyed our parents when we were kids. And what we see here is that um, even when we disobey, Christ is gracious. He's long-suffering. He loves us through that. He doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't ju just squash us or, or um, uh, he's not heavy-handed with us. And, and in much the same way as parents, we have an opportunity to, to put a display on of the gospel when our children disobey. And sometimes it happens, uh, but, but this is, is a picture of the gospel. And so parents, if you aren't lovingly, patient, patiently, graciously teaching your kids obedience, you're denying them a great gift that God has for them. And th think about this. I, 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 in each of these points, I've tried to come up with a, a, a way that we can kind of test this in our own lives. I used a, an example in, in the first service of, you know, we've, we've, a lot of us in here have kids, and uh, some of us in here have witnessed other people's kids disobeying. I hope it's disobedience. I hope you don't allow your kids to see, to, to do some of that. I, I used an example in the first service of, of my own son. Uh, a, few, uh, a few months ago, I guess, we did a work day here at the church, and on my list of things to do was uh, there's a, a bench out here whenever you walk into the uh, foyer, the entryway, and the bench out here, it, it actually happens a few times a year. Some kids play in hide-and-seek. They climb in there. They break the whole bottom out. The, it's, it all just gets torn up, and, and I remember this was the second or third time that I had gone to fix it on this work day, and I remember just kind of thinking to myself, Whoever's kid did this, I mean, I was, you know, you, you, have, you ever, have you ever done that? I, I'm imagining in my head, I think I know whose kid it might have been, you know. I'm, I'm starting to, I'm going through, nah, nah, he wouldn't fit. He'd do it, you know, or she. I, I'm kind of thinking through it. And uh, so I got it fixed, and the very next week, very next week, it was a Thursday night, and uh, we had just wrapped up teens. I'm coming down this hallway. Bryn comes walking down the hall, and she said, hey, you need to fix that bench again. And I'll be honest, I, I was immediately angry. I was like, what in the world? I just fixed that. If somebody would keep an eye on their kids, we wouldn't have to be fixing everything around here. They're, you know, we got to fish them out of dumpsters and the street and trees and everything else. Somebody would pay attention to their kids, this wouldn't happen. And I looked at her, and I kind of, I didn't say it real loud. There's people around, but I was like, who did it? And she said that it was our adult-sized preteen son, our kid who's way too big to be climbing in there, had climbed in there and busted the whole bottom out of it. And, and I, I looked at Brent, I, I, and, and I told her in, in grace and love, this is your fault. <laughs> this is your kid. I was busy. You were supposed to be watching him. You know, this, this should have never happened. Now I've got to go and fix this thing again. And uh, I remember Lucas walked in. Uh, he knew what he'd done. But I remember he was standing behind Brent, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and neither one of us had any words to say, but we had an entire conversation right there. Have you ever had one of those conversations with your kid? And, and what I'm saying is um, I really wanted to act out ungraciously in that moment, uh, but I saved that. I put some extra na nails underneath for the next time he climbs in there. He'll remember it. Uh, not really. That's... I, I maybe should just to discourage that, but I, I haven't actually done that. But in, in any event, we, we need to show grace. Uh, we need to show grace to our kids and help them to understand that th this is a picture of the gospel. And so it is in their best interest to learn to obey. Lastly, let's look at 
verse number 21. The Bible says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. And so uh, this particular verse, it does say there at the very beginning, it addresses fathers specifically. I don't think that it would be taking this verse out of context to say that this could apply to parents. Probably uh, more likely than not, fathers need this verse more. Uh, but I think that parents in general shouldn't exasperate your children and uh, uh, cause them to become discouraged. I like the way the King James says this verse. It says, provoke not your children to wrath. And if you look later in Hebrews, the Bible says, provoke unto love and good works. And so very literally here, the Bible is saying, don't provoke this way, do provoke another way. Don't, don't provoke them to wrath. Don't cause them to be discouraged. Provoke them unto love and good works. Uh, provoke them to obedience instead of discouragement might be a way, another way to say that. All right, we'll wrap it up with two things here. How do we provoke our children unto obedience? First of all, we do that with our time. We see a picture of this with our Heavenly Father. Do you know how I know uh, best what God wants from me, what his desires are for me, and, and know best how I should obey him? I know that by spending time with him. The more that I spend time with my Heavenly Father, the more I understand his good nature, the more I understand what he expects from me, the more I understand what brings him pleasure. And the same is true in any relationship that we have. Husbands and wives, this morning we, we already really addressed this, but if you want to understand and, and know your husband or your wife, spend time with them. That's, that's a lot of what, what dating is about. When you're dating, you realize a lot about your spouse, and you don't have to ask them. You've spent time with them. Uh, I mentioned this, uh, a little bit earlier in the sermon, I said that, that Bryn likes to give and receive gifts. She's never told me that. I, I've spent time with her. I recognize that she gives people gifts. I recognize the pleasure that she gets when she receives a gift. I've, I've only come to that conclusion by spending time with her. And if we're going to um, provoke our children unto obedience and love and good works, and they're going to have the, the correct posture in that obedience, not, they're not obeying us because they have to. They're not obeying us because uh, if they don't, they're going to be in trouble or they're going to get something taken away. And I'm not saying that that's not appropriate. What I'm saying is that we want the posture of our children in obedience to be that they love us, they know us, they understand us, and that they know that we have their best interest in mind. The way that we're going to do that is to spend so much time with our children that they know what we expect from them. Uh, the example I used a moment ago, I'm sure all of you have been in that boat, that you've looked at your child, you've never said a word. For some of you, you've looked at your husband or your wife, and you've never said a word, and there's a whole lot of communicating that's happening right there. That only happens because we spent so much time with one another that we know and we understand. And, and if, if we're going to provoke our children to love and good works and obedience, we have to spend time with them. Secondly, we'll wrap it up with this, with our words. We spend time with them in order to, for them to understand that without words, but words are also important. Words can build up and words can tear down. Words can cut deep. All of us have experienced both of those on, on some level. I, I use an example in the first service, actually, <clears throat> of a time I remember with my dad. And uh, I actually remember, I don't know why this sticks out of my head. It, it's always sticked out, stuck out in my head. But it was a time that he said something to me that was, that was positive, and it stuck with me. It was something that I remember. It's actually so silly uh, that I, I, it's not even worth repeating, but we were, we were in a church service, and I remember my dad just leaned over to me, and he said some kind words. And I remember in that moment what I felt like. I remember, I remember audibly thinking the words in my head that my dad loves me. 
I remember thinking that he, he wants what's best for me. I, all, of, all of these things came just by some words that he shared with me. Now, all of us are different. Uh, my dad, his personality would probably not be to share those kinds of words on a regular basis, and, and that may be why it meant so much to me in that moment. I'll be honest, that's probably not my personality. I, I am, am not likely to... Uh, always share those types of words with my kids or to write them letters and that's not to say that I shouldn't or I should um, but I'm, I'm not necessarily one that does that on a regular basis but I, what, what I want to pull away from this is that those words whether they're positive or they're negative especially in a child's life when they they're they're vulnerable and they are impressionable and those things that are said to them make an impact on their life I, I, again I, I use the example of when I was a kid I, I probably was seven or eight years old when those words were said and for some reason they still stick out in my head and it, that doesn't happen in the same way when you become an adult so if, if you're going to love your children, if you're going to provoke them to obedience, this is going to happen with your words, and those words aren't going to be heavy-handed words. It's not going to be that you yell immediately when something doesn't go your way or when they, when they disappoint you, when they upset you, or they do something that they're not supposed to. Uh, it's going to be that, that we provoke them to love with oftentimes kind words. And you can, you can provoke your children to obedience with kind words. How many times, I, I've been guilty of this myself, how many times have you just had enough with your kids? And, and immediately you take it from here to here. You've grounded them from everything for 10 years. They're, they're never going to get an allowance. They'll never be able to date or get married. They can't, you know, you've, you've gone as far as you can go. We've, we've probably all done this. And, and really, we're, we're honestly, we're only hurting ourselves because at the moment that we take it from here to here and they take it to here, we have no place else to go, right? We've already, we've shown all of our cards. We've, we've, uh, we've grounded them from everything and taken everything away. Uh, what, what the Bible's teaching us here, and again, I'm, I'm not saying that it's not appropriate at times. To discipline your children, it is appropriate. It's appropriate to, to provoke them to do the right thing. But the Bible is saying that with our words, that we can do that in love. And oftentimes I think that you'll find that this is, this is a much more effective approach than just always uh, going to those unkind words. And so what can we take away from all of this this morning, these four verses? Uh, our perfect Heavenly Father has given us grace. No matter what role we fill here, if we're, uh, if we're parents, if we're a mom, if we're a dad, if we are children, um, if, we're, if we're hoping to be married or we're hoping to have children, our Heavenly Father has given us grace. He's walked with us, and he's invited us to rewrite stories that have gone wrong in our own lives. We have a chance to live out a new reality by his grace and his power in our lives. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.